Welcome to Here's to Your Health with Joshua Lane. Here's to Your Health discusses the current thinking and wellness, bringing you the most influential thinkers in beauty, fitness, and longevity. Your host, Joshua Lane, was part of the Dr. Ann Wigmore team that helped bring wheatgrass, sprouts, and raw foods to a worldwide audience. And now the host of Here's to Your Health, Joshua Lane. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. And my guest is Sylvia Beljansky, author of Winning the War on Cancer, The Epic Journey Towards a Natural Cure. Sylvia Beljansky uh, is a regular contributor to the show, and she is the uh, founder of Maison Beljansky in New York City, and they use and they recommend herbal products developed by her father, Mirko Beljansky, the Ph.D., from the Pasteur Institute in Paris. Sylvie, welcome to the show. Uh, hello, and thank you for having me today. Happy to have you on the show. The information you offer is uh, excellent, carefully researched. Again, our guest is Sylvie Beljansky, author of Winning the War on Cancer. Sylvie, I knew that in today's conversation, you wanted to specifically discuss women and cancer. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think there is some... Uh some uh, misunderstanding about uh, women's health and cancer, and uh, I think it is important to straighten the, the, the record about, you know, um, the, the way women are, are treated, um, especially maybe at a time where people are wondering what a woman is. Uh, I, I think it is important to make the difference between the causes of the disease of cancer and the treatment. Uh, when you look at the, I mean, the, the number of women who are affected by cancer, uh, it's about half of the population, a little bit less, I mean, than half of the population. It says that uh, about uh, 18 million people are diagnosed uh, with cancer worldwide, and uh, about 9 million are men, and 8.8 .8 are, are women. So. It's, it's about equivalent. Uh, what is um, different is that so, I mean, there are some increased risk uh, that are uh, kind of uh, uh, women um, incur because of their lifestyle, because of the treatments they, they are uh, uh, offered. But uh, when it comes to uh, treating the disease, it is always the same thing. There, is, there should not be products, treatments that are given just designed just for women because cancer is cancer. And uh, what people want is natural products that are non-toxic, that are selective to cancer cells, and are not go are going to work together with chemotherapy, and are uh, not going to uh, induce any side effect. Everybody wants the same thing, uh, and it doesn't matter if you are a man or a, a woman. And when I say cancer is a cancer, there is a big difference between cancerous cells and healthy cells. It is at the level of the DNA. The the DNA of a cancer cell is destabilized. The helix is open. And that's a big difference between cancerous cells 
and healthy cells. And it doesn't matter where the cancer is located. It doesn't matter if it is the cancer of a woman or the cancer of a man. It's always the same thing, destabilization of the DNA. So the approach in the end is going to be the same. What I want, want to do is to uh, speak a little bit about those uh, causes that may affect women more than men because it is important to be aware of them and try to avoid those causes as much as possible. But again, when it comes to treatment, there is no difference between men and women. Our guest is Sylvie Boljanski, so, and uh, Sylvie Boljanski is the author of Winning the War on Cancer. And uh, we're discussing, uh, Sylvie's discussing, you know, women in cancer. And oh, this is all, this is a, great, a great conversation from Sylvie. And Sylvie, can, is it fair for me to say that your understanding that cancer is uh, destabilized cells, this is all based on the work of your father, Mirko Boljanski, the Ph.D.? Yes, my, my father was one of the first uh, uh, PhDs to, to, to molecular biologists to look into into the causation of cancer uh, and beyond simple mutation. And he made this observation that there is a dif fundamental difference at the level of the helix between cancer DNA and healthy DNA. But this observation has been confirmed uh, since my, the time of my father by uh, other scientists, but the, like uh, Dr. Malins here in the, in the state. So it's not just, you know, my father who said that and uh, because it was a kind of luminaries of, of time. No, no, this is, has been confirmed now. And, uh, and the fact that uh, there are a number of uh, natural compounds now that are able to uh, work at the level of the DNA, um, destroy in, by inducing apoptosis those cells whose DNA has been um, destabilized and uh, leave alone healthy cells is actually a confirmation of my father's theory. Uh, as you know, one could say, uh, the, the proof is in the pudding. It works because my father was right about the theory and looked at the right place. Yes, yes. Our guest is Sylvia Beljanski, author of Winning the War on Cancer. So s since the numbers you mentioned, so many women and men get cancer, this is obviously of great concern to every person because it seems to affect every family, you know, in the country. Uh, so what do you suggest we do as men and women, what do we do now to really not have to worry about cancer? W what are some of the lifestyle ideas? Well, especially when it comes to, to, to women, uh, there is a number of things and products that are, you know, surrounding them being part of our uh, natural uh, lifestyle and uh, are actually uh, lurking uh, to, to, to make us sick. I mean, when you look just at uh, uh, household products or, or uh, pants, non-sticking uh, 
pants, for example, you have to, to worry about the bisphenol A, uh, which is known to induce uh, breast and ovarian cancer. You have talat also, which is also uh, induce endometriosis and breast cancer. There is the cosmetics that we are using on a daily basis. They are you uh, filled with phthalates, which are known as fragrance, parabens, which are conservative, and uh, they are also in thousands, thousands of, of cosmetics that are being used on a daily basis by, by thousands of um, billions of, of women around the world. And, uh, and uh, there was a study which was done a few years ago in the, in the UK showing that uh, parabens are um, parabens which are conservatives for uh, for those uh, preservatives for for, uh, for, uh, for cosmetics are actually attracted by the weak uh, cells in the body and they end up uh, in tumors. You, you, in some breast tumors, you could find those parabens. Where are they coming from? Well, they are, of course, coming from the, the cosmetics, the creams that uh, we are putting on our body and the skin being our largest organ of absorption, uh, it goes directly uh, into the bloodstream and goes induce cancer wherever you have a beginning of destabilization of the DNA. Yes. We are in the summer. There is also the sunscreens. Uh, there are many sunscreens which are not mineral. You have a compound called octocrylene. Octocrylene is fine, but with the heat and time, it turns into a carcinogenic compound, and that's why uh, chemical skin, uh, sunscreens are to be avoided. Of course, when you speak of women, you are also speaking of menopause and all the hormonal treatments that may be given have an impact on breast cancer. Actually, that was known since, uh, since 1936. There was a publication by Professor Lacassagne uh, in the American uh, Journal of Cancer and uh, making the link between hormonal treatment and breast cancer. And, uh, there, you know, when um, menopause is not treated by hormones, it's often uh, treated through uh, antidepressants, and uh, also, there are other studies showing that uh, benzodiazepines uh, are actually uh, increasing the risk of brain cancer by uh, 98%, esophagus cancer by 59%. So, you, cancer which are not, you know, known to be uh, specifically feminine are actually uh, caused by those antidepressants that are prescribed to women uh, when they uh, get uh, to the age of menopause. And then there are some other antidepressants like uh, Paxil, very well known, very common. Uh, it is known to block tamoxifen, so it is it should not be taken with chemotherapy when chemotherapy is taken. And then the same thing uh, with, uh, with um, autoimmune disease, I mean the products given to treat autoimmune disease and women are more prone than men to get autoimmune disease, um, are also uh, known to induce uh, increased cancer. Stress uh, is also a big factor to uh, increase fermentation of glucose and then 
uh, may induce cancer. There are some studies also showing that uh, uh, events like uh, the death of a husband or a divorce, which are very uh, stressful, uh, are, may induce an increased risk of, of breast cancer. Uh, speaking of breast, just the fact that there is a mammography on a regular basis is radiation. Uh, it may also, it, uh, it comes with an increased risk of cancer. And all that, of course, is on top of all the usual uh, things uh, like uh, alcohol, smoking, and, uh, and so on. So the first thing to do is to, to be uh, aware of those things, try to remove them as much as possible, try to remove the heavy metals. Every time I speak, I also speak about the heavy metals. Uh, they are not, uh, not, people are not speaking enough about that, but uh, heavy metals are really part of the pollution today and nowadays and, uh, and uh, is a big factor in making us sick. But as if once you have uh, removed all those causes, if you uh, have a, a, a fear of cancer or if you have cancer, uh, whether you are a man or, or a woman, you want to use natural products that are going to be able to recognize destabilized cells and are going to be able to destroy those cells. Right. It, right. It, it is important to know that we all, men, women, we all have destabilized cells at any time in our body. We, but we have some uh, kind of uh, checkpoints that uh, are able to recognize those cells and eliminate those cells, those precancerous cells. A healthy body is able to, is producing destabilized cells but is able to destroy them on time. But sometimes, for some reason, the checkpoint fails. And it can be because the checkpoint is overwhelmed with the bad stuff that we uh, have absorbed. So when that happens, it's it is really important to learn about natural compounds, natural plant extracts like Pauperera or Rovolfia vomitoria, which go to the destabilized cells and induce apoptosis. And because we have one DNA from head to toe, it's going to work on different kinds of cancerous cells. Again, it doesn't matter where the cancerous cell is located. There are several studies which have been done and published in peer-reviewed papers on Pao Pereira, for example, showing that it's working on breast cancer cells, ovarian cancer cells, pancreatic cancer cells, colon cancer cells. Just as an example, you know, of the published research um, in peer-reviewed papers, Rovolfia vomitoria is another one working, you know, on ovarian cancer cells, pancreatic cancer cells, and also prostate cancer cells. I mean, the same thing again for, for men. There is no difference between men and women when it comes to the treatment. And whether you are a man or a woman, you want also to deal with the cancer stem cells. Cancer stem cells are uh, forgotten uh, by uh, chemotherapies. Um, chemotherapies are ineffective at destroying cancer stem cells. Those cancer stem cells are those cells which are going to resist chemotherapy 
and are able to resist and reproduce themselves somewhere else. And that's where you have the metastasis. Right. And again, Pauperera and Ravolcia vomitoria are effective at a, at a different kind of cancer stem cells. So that's a very valuable information whether you are a man or a woman. Yes, I agree. Our guest has been Sylvie Beljansky, author of Winning the War on Cancer. I'm happy to say that Sylvie is a regular contributor to the show. And the book is excellent. It's called Winning the War on Cancer. And I really hope that if you're interested in the subject at all, you please would read this book. You'll find it very valuable. Again, the book is Winning the War on Cancer by Sylvie Beljansky. This is a promo code. Beljansky, my last name, B-L-J-N-S-K-I, 22. And people will have 10% on all the, all the products on isobeljansky.com. This is Josh Lane. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these important messages. Beljansky supplements and herbal teas, widely used in Europe, now the Beljansky formulas are available in the United States. Used by athletes, fashion models, the former president of France, and those in the know, Beljansky supplements and herbal teas can work for you. Call 212-308-7066. That's 212-308-7066. Visit our center in New York City. Our website is www.maisonbeljansky.com. That's www.maisonbeljansky.com. Feel better naturally. Beljansky Formulas. Medical scientists worldwide are encouraging people to eat more fish. Most American diets are low in cold water fish that are abundant in important omega-3 oils. DHA and EPA are the vital components of fish oil that provide healthy benefits. Not only are they crucial for brain and vision development, they're very important for cardiovascular health. Carlson, America's leading Norwegian fish oil brand, specializes in both great-tasting soft gels that are easy to swallow and fish oil liquids that don't taste fishy. That's right. Carlson provides the most extensive line of fish oils to meet all your needs. You can take Carlson fish oils with confidence. For Carlson fish oils are tested for purity, potency, and freshness. Ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. That's right. Ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. Theory is a family-owned and operated supplement brand on a mission to inspire wellness in all. From farm to shelf, quality is at the heart of our products, made in Southern California. Try new U-Theory Daily Fat Burner for healthy weight management. U-Theory Turmeric to support healthy inflammation response. U-Theory Collagen for hair, skin, nails, tendons, and ligaments. And Ashwagandha to help reduce stress, boost overall well-being and clarity. U-Theory, made for all of you. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane, and my guest is Scott Tips, and Scott is the president of the National Health Federation, which is the oldest-serving wellness organization 
for we American consumers and consumers around the globe, uh, in the United States, they do great work. And Scott Tips has been really the person who's really done most of that work as far as protecting us in the courts uh, in Europe against uh, contaminated food products. And it's always a pleasure to have Scott on the show. Scott, welcome to Here's to Your Health. Hi, thank you, Josh. I appreciate you having me on yet again. Yeah, no, no, I, I really, I am really very happy with the work that the National Health Federation does, and I'm happy to let people know about the important work. I always like to mention how your organization has been able to reduce the amount of aluminum allowed in food uh, against the opposition of food manufacturers. I mean, it's amazing how many important uh, ways the National Health Federation has helped people's health, and also people might not realize this, but oftentimes legislation that you help get passed helps not only Americans, but people around the globe have healthier food supplies. So what are you working on now that we really need to know about? Well, I, I just finished um, about a week and a half ago, I just finished attending a week-long Codex Alimentarius meeting, a certain committee called the Codex Committee on Pesticide Residues. It's hosted by the Chinese government. And uh, it's funny, there, Josh, out of 380 participants, give or take 10 or 20 a day, you know, it fluctuated by the day. It was a Zoom meeting because they're still under the, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic rules at Codex. So they typically just have their meetings by Zoom now, although that's starting to change back to in-person meetings, um, probably effective this fall, this September. And um, anyway, at this meeting, they were deciding on various pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, and the like. And uh, NHF, the National Health Federation, which I appreciate your mention of them earlier, was one of the most outspoken delegations of the 380 participants. We were probably in the top five delegations speaking out on various issues throughout the meeting, uh, including against glyphosate, because glyphosate, as people are increasingly realized, contributes to the antimicrobial resistance worldwide. Now, the pesticide industry doesn't want you, Monsanto in particular, they don't want you to know about this because it's another black eye from or for um, glyphosate. But see, the big problem at places like the Codex Committee on Pesticide Residue is they don't test real-life products. They don't test Roundup, which is like a thousand times more toxic than glyphosate alone which is toxic enough in, in, in and of itself. But when you combine it with the arsenic in Roundup and you combine it with the other toxic ingredients, the whole is uh, greater than the many separate parts, as they would say at times. And uh, it's, it's a huge problem. But when I spoke up at the Codex meeting against glyphosate, as having caused a lot of the antimicrobial resistance. Of course, uh, the front group for the pesticide industry with this lovely name of Crop Life, you know, they, you, you would think, oh, wow, what a wonderful group. But it 
all it knows is pesticides. If it can sell more pesticides, then they've done their job for the day. And they are nothing but a lobbying group for the pesticide industry. But they're treated at the codex meeting as if they are some scientific body of, of great standing, you know. And so one of the things that crop life, i.e. the pesticide industry, was upset about was the fact that uh, the scientific body for pesticide residue uh, evaluations has a backlog of at least two years, and they wanted to think of ways to accelerate that along. And a lot of the delegates were thanking CropLife for their suggestions and all that. But you and I, Josh, and anyone with an ounce of brains knows, hey, they just want to get their products out there faster so they can sell more products and make more money. It's not about the health of the consumer. It's about making money. It's about greed, really. And so I pointed that out, saying pretty much those same words right there. And that's one of the things about NHF at these meetings is we actually have people come up to us and say, hey, you don't talk like the other delegations. You talk differently, <laughs> which, of course, we take as a big, huge compliment. And uh, so we fought against that. But get this. What came out at this meeting was the work of an electronic working group. Now, electronic working groups are usually set up by the various codex committees to kind of accelerate the work. And so they came up with new uh, food standard categories, I guess I could call it that, for uh, human food. And those categories include dog meat, rat meat, swan meat, dolphins and whales, ticks, spiders, and lice, earwigs. Uh, let's see, I didn't notice any cat meat, fortunately. That was reassuring. I didn't notice any human meat on the list, so I guess that was reassuring. But they had practically everything else. And their idea is to get us all set up for when we start munching on crickets in the future as they would really love to have us do. And so that came out at this meeting, and uh, NHF objected. So that was one lovely thing that came out. And then another thing that came out, which is kind of interesting, and I don't care where the person is on the political divide on this thing, but Australia, New Zealand... Canada, the United States, the European Union, and the United Kingdom, six delegations, uh, submitted uh, conference room documents. They're called CRDs, like NHF submitted a conference room document on glyphosate as an antimicrobial resistance promoter, amongst other things. And we talked about other herbicides that were carcinogenic and the like. But anyway, when you do this, if it's done outside of the normal codex documents, they're called CRDs. So anyway, these six countries submitted these six CRDs, but they get this, Josh, they had nothing whatsoever to do with any of the work of codex. There were just condemnations of Russia attacking Ukraine. Well, okay, who's in favor of war? I don't really know anyone in favor of war these days. But regardless, um, this was totally out of place in a scientific body like codex. But everyone was too afraid to say something about it. So I spoke up, and I said, this is 
I was shocked. This is highly inappropriate. And this was tried 10 years ago on another matter. Uh, it was roundly criticized and rejected, and they had to withdraw the CRDs. And I asked that these CRDs be withdrawn. And then the Codex Secretariat said, oh, well, the FAO Legal Counsel said it was okay. And uh, that's why we have them in. So anyway, there's all, there were all sorts of shenanigans going on at this Codex meeting, which was clearly owned by the pesticide industry. I mean, the chairman was good. He's a new chairman appointed by the Chinese government and uh, with passable English. And he uh, certainly better than my Mandarin Chinese. And he, um, he did a good job, but, you know, the pesticide industry pretty much got what it wanted. So that's the thing. It's just one voice in HF against everyone. The EU and Switzerland and even the United Kingdom were at times good, but they don't really stand up to anyone. They just express their reservations and let let the new standards get passed up to final adoption. So that that was my week. How was your week? Well, our, our guest is Scott Tips. Scott is the president. <laughs> yeah, Scott is the president of the National Health Federation. Just speaking to us about what's going on in the new uh, Codex meeting uh, that he's uh, uh, involved with in Europe on a regular basis. Now, Scott, let me just get this uh, clear in my mind. You're saying that some delegates brought up the Russian invasion of the Ukraine as a what? A time-wasting procedure to fill in to to, to do what? Well, actually, they. Uh, just submitted the written documents. They didn't speak about it at the meeting at all. In fact, no one would have said a word if I hadn't spoken up. At the very end, it was literally within the last few minutes of the meeting under the rubric of other business. You know how meetings have that at the end of the meeting, other business, and there was no other business except for me raising my hand, figuratively speaking and asking to be recognized, and I said, you know, I noticed there are these CRDs, unnumbered, but condemning Russia for the attack on Ukraine, and um, I was just shocked that they were there, because it's not within the mandated codex to deal with political issues. This is a scientific body, and these are highly inappropriate, and they should be withdrawn. I mean, that was essentially what I said in the last literally two or three minutes of the meeting before it closed. And then uh, that evoked the response from the, uh, at, uh, I'm sorry, the Codex Secretariat, who said that the Food and Agricultural Organization, that is FAO, the FAO Legal Council had already okayed it. And a later comment, not that day, but later I said, well, I'm an attorney also, and I think the FAO Legal Council is completely wrong. It's not appropriate, and it's not called for under Section 2 of the general principles of Codex Alimentarius as set forth in the Codex Procedural Manual. So why is it there? And they just said, well, it's going to stay there. And I said, well, I like my comments in the report objecting to it or expressing my concerns. And they said, no, you can't have your comments in the report. So that's where it's at. But what gets me, Josh, in a way, is how tame and meek most of the delegates are. 
uh, I mean, utterly tame and meek, maybe even cowed. I don't know. No one else spoke. Even the Russians didn't speak up against it. But then maybe they thought, oh, it would just lead to something worse. I don't know. That's for them to decide. But I just knew that I could speak up on it. And, you know, I don't care what one's position is on it, whether they're pro-Russia or pro-Ukraine, it doesn't matter. You know, in a scientific body, it should be reviewing scientific matters and not taking uh, political sides that could devolve into almost literally, but not in a Zoom meeting, fisticuffs, as they might have said a century ago, uh, between delegates or among delegates. So, um, anyway, that was that. But there were many more important things. We went through a lot of different uh, pesticides, herbicides, and even a fungicide or two that NHF objected to. But it'd be too boring to go through the details of each and every one. But glyphosate was the main one, but, um, you know, people didn't like to hear that at the meeting. So there was me representing NHF at the meeting, and then there were 40 people on the crop life, i.e. pro-pesticide industry or the pesticide industry front group delegation. 40, and there's me, and no telling how many others were sprinkled in amongst the country delegations. Uh, that obviously were also there. So they really control this uh, committee, and I've noticed it before. It's not the first pesticide residue committee meeting I've gone to. Um, I've been to many over the years, both in China, Hong Kong, and in the Zoom meetings, and it's pretty much the same thing. But at least we plant seeds for a lot of those delegates who are out there who never heard that Glyphosate may be, uh, well, it actually is, but in their minds, may be uh, contributing to antimicrobial, antibiotic resistance throughout the world. And actually, if you look at the facts, you'll see countries like China and other Asian countries where the antibiotic usage is low, the antibiotic resistance, but their glyphosate usage is high, Roundup is high. So you see that they have actually higher antimicrobial resistance than a lot of countries where antibiotic use is higher. So what does that lead to? Well, it leads to the conclusion that there's a correlation between um, the use of glyphosate as an herbicide in the countryside and the antimicrobial resistance. And even better, at an earlier meeting, the crop-like delegate had laughed at me and my suggestion that glyphosate was an antibiotic. And I said, oh, okay, then why does Monsanto have a U.S. patent uh, for glyphosate as, and its use as an antibiotic? Why is that? Good for and you. There is no answer. Good for you. Good for you. Our guest has been Scott Tipps. Scott Tipps, president of the National Health Federation. I'm very happy to say that Scott is a regular contributor to the show. And the organization, he's the president of the National Health Federation, is the longest-serving organization uh, for health freedom uh, in the United States uh, since the mid-1950s. They really do excellent work, so I'm always very happy when Scott can uh, speak to my uh, audience. Again, my guest has been Scott Tipps, president of the National Health Federation. This is Josh Lane. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back 
after these important messages. The Beljansky Foundation offers you the scientific approach to healing used successfully by Francois Mitterrand, the former president of France. The Beljansky Foundation offers you non-toxic, scientifically supported methods to regain your health. Visit the Beljansky Foundation website, www.beljansky.org. You'll be glad you did. That's www.beljansky.org. The Beljansky Foundation. The information is essential. The Beljansky Foundation. www.beljansky.org. The Beljansky Method now in America. www.beljansky.org. Medical scientists worldwide are encouraging people to eat more fish. And most American diets are low in important omega-3 oils. Omega-3 oils are the vital components of fish that provide numerous health benefits. Carlson Elite Omega-3 Gems supply concentrated amounts of these omega-3 oils that are needed to support vision, brain function, and a healthy heart. Each great-tasting Carlson Elite Omega-3 Gem Soft Gel contains 1,250 milligrams of fish oil from deep cold water fish. That supplies a full 800 milligrams of omega-3s, all in only one easy-to-swallow soft gel. You can take Carlson fish oils with confidence, for they are tested for purity, potency, and freshness by an independent FDA-registered laboratory. Ask for Carlson Elite Omega-3 Gems at your favorite natural food retailer today. U-Theory is a family-owned and operated supplement brand on a mission to inspire wellness in all. From farm to shelf, quality is at the heart of our products made in Southern California. Try new U-Theory Daily Fat Burner for healthy weight management. U-Theory Turmeric to support healthy inflammation response. U-Theory Collagen for hair, skin, nails, tendons, and ligaments. And Ashwagandha to help reduce stress, boost overall well-being and clarity. U-Theory, made for all of you. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. And my guest is Dr. Walt Korninski. And Dr. Korninski is an MD, and he's a pediatrician. And he trained at Boston Children's Hospital. And he's very well known. He's spent his career working with uh, children's health issues. And he has a book published uh, just a couple months ago called ADHD Medication, Does It Work and Is It Safe? Dr. Koniski, welcome to Here's to Your Health. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure being here today. Yeah, happy to have you back on the show. And you were were on the show a couple months ago chatting about uh, ADHD, which is really a very... uh, important topic, uh, and I guess a somewhat, uh, you know, uh, well, controversial, but also an important topic. And in our last conversation, we didn't really talk about the medications that you feel are successful and safe. That's correct, yes. Which medicate now, you, you mentioned to me, I believe on the air, but also when we were just chatting between uh, 
you know, breaks, that there's a lot of medication on the market, but m- almost all of it is just variations on the same drugs. And that's so really, I think you mentioned to me, there are only really two medications that you felt were successful. That's right. Uh, the, t- the, the first thing that we do when we, when we look at the medications that are available for ADHD is to ask the question whether they are stimulant medications or non-stimulant medications. And the reason why that's important is that the stimulant medications are the most effective medications to treat ADHD. Uh, the non-stimulants have a little bit less side effects but they're also less effective for treating the hyperactive and impulsive behaviors. Where uh, I'm, I'm sorry, they're less effective for treating the attentive behaviors, more effective for treating the hyperactive and impulsive behaviors. So, so that we have to make that distinction first. Once we decide if we're going to use a non-stimulant medication or a stimulant medication, we have two choices either methylphenidate or amphetamine. And you probably know what some of these medications are. Methylphenidate is also known as its brand name, Ritalin, or uh, other medications that have methylphenidate in them are Concerta and Detrana, Metadate, many other medications. There's actually about 18 different medications that contain methylphenidate as its main ingredient. There's another 15 medications that have amphetamine as the main ingredient. And so out of the 30 or so medications that are available to treat ADHD, there's really only two specific medications that are being used. And what the drug companies have done is that they have changed the medications just slightly enough so that the FDA has to consider them as new medications even though they're really essentially the same thing. For example, they will put uh, the pill form medication into an orally dissolving tablet. Now, that's great for children because they have more difficulty swallowing it, and if they can take a chewable tablet, they'll be able to take that medication more easily. But the other thing that the pharmaceutical company has done is now they've created a brand new medication, even though it works the same way and does the same thing as the other medications, and they can obviously charge more for that newer medication because it's a brand name medication. Hmm. All righty. So really, so, so there's a lot well, of marketing it, here it, going on. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's not necessarily. Uh, it, there's nothing wrong with what they do. It's perfectly legal. Um, but it, 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 their motivation for doing it is to develop a newer medication that they can charge more for, whereas the children benefit because now we have more options on how to treat children. So instead of just a pill, we have a pill or a chewable tablet or an orally dissolving tablet or a skin patch or uh, a long-acting uh, tablet that, that, that instead of lasting four hours might last eight, ten, or twelve hours. Um, so it it gives us a lot of uh, choice to treat each child separately for their particular difficulties, right. and so we can therefore um, design a treatment plan that works specifically for that child. 
our, our guest is Dr. Walter Karninski, and Dr. Karninski is an MD, and he's a developmental pediatrician. His new book is called ADHD Medication, Does It Work, and Is It Safe? So, Dr. Karninski, before you prescribe medication for a child, I'm guessing you meet first with the child and the parents and discuss options, and you do blood work. I mean, how does it work to get a diagnosis? Uh, there are, uh, when I when I schedule a new patient, when I'm seeing a patient for the first time, I generally spend an hour and a half to two hours with that patient and the family. So what I'll usually do is bring the child in with the parents and talk with them for about 10 minutes as a group. And then most of the children kind of lose interest after about 10 minutes. Um, so then I talk more with the parents and try to get a better history of what uh, the problems have been and what the concerns are. Uh, the, after that, and what, once I've got a good picture of what's going on, I will then spend time with the child, uh, both doing some testing and um, also talking to that child to get to know him better. And that gives me a much better understanding of what is needed. Sometimes I'll order additional psychological testing. For example, uh, I might be concerned that instead of dealing with ADHD, we might be dealing with a learning disability. And so I'll get learning disability testing to clarify the situation. In another situation, I might feel that, uh, yes, there's symptoms of ADHD, but there's also symptoms of anxiety and depression. And maybe we ought to evaluate that first before we think about treatment and get an idea of what's going on. So the initial part of the evaluation is to gather as much information as possible to form a complete picture of what is going on with one particular individual child. Yes. Once we have that, we can discuss the cause of the problem and a specific treatment as well. And uh, our guest is Dr. Uh, Walt Karninski. Uh, Dr. Karninski is an MD. He is a developmental pediatrician, originally trained at Boston Children's Hospital. Uh, Dr. Karninski, so you are happy to recommend uh, some medications when it's appropriate. And uh, this problem with ADHD, which seems to be really of national concern, doesn't it kind of seem to be a relatively new problem? I mean, did it really exist in the 50s, or did it mostly kind of show up in the late 80s and 90s? Well, there's a, there's a whole fascinating history, and actually these medications were discovered in the 1890s huh. in Japan. Uh, they really did not become useful for children um, until about 1940. And what was happening between 1890 and 1940 was these medications were being used as decongestants as well as appetite suppressants so for people to lose weight. Uh, and, and, and they also treated headaches specifically. That's what they were being used for. They weren't successful, but they were being used for that purpose. And in 1940, uh, a, a doctor by the name of Dr. Charles Bradley was running a home for children with neurologic disabilities in Providence, uh, on the Providence, Rhode Island. And he did a spinal tap on each of the children that came into the hospital. 
Now, a spinal tap means inserting a needle into the bottom of the spinal cord and pulling out some fluid and analyzing that fluid. But in the process, that change in fluid creates an excruciating headache. So he, he felt, I need to do something to resolve these headaches so the kids don't have to suffer when I have to do a spinal tap. He decided to use um, amphetamine, which was in a decongestant at the, at the time because it was used to treat head colds. And so he gave the children this, this medication, and lo and behold, it had no effect on the headaches. They were still excruciating and still painful, but they went away after a few days. But what was really striking was the nurses started coming to the doctor saying, um, something's different about this child. Since he started taking the medication, he's more cooperative. He's no longer angry. He's, he's uh, following directions. He's more uh, inspired to do the work. And that's when Dr. Charles Bradley in 1940 decided that maybe he had was on to a medication that could help children focus, attend, concentrate, and learn. And over the next 20 years, he did further research to document the effectiveness of these medications. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, and, and over, over time, so, so in other words, that, medic, that specific medication, amphetamine, that is the main ingredient of Adderall and Vyvanse and many other brand name medications, has existed since the 1890s, has been used for treating children with behavioral and learning difficulties since the 1940s, and even there was a dramatic increase in those treatments in in the 1980s and 90s, but it had already been going on for many years prior to that. I see. All righty. Our guest is Dr. Uh, Walt Karnitsky. Dr. Karnitsky is an MD. His new book is called ADHD Medication, Does It Work and Is It Safe? And Dr. Karnitsky is a developmental pediatrician and, again, as I mentioned, trained at Boston Children's Hospital. So what do you, what's, what's, what's going to happen now? I mean, as ADHD seems to be really here, I mean, many families have... Uh, children who are damaged by ADHD. I mean, what's going to be happening in the next couple of years? Well, you know, there, it, what's striking about this is that even though we have uh, more than 40 medications for treating ADHD, we're still stuck with those two main medications. And uh, each year, the drug companies try to come out with a newer medication that is helpful for the treatment of ADHD. And that. There's a group of medications called the non-stimulants. For instance, uh, Stratera, Clonidine, Tenex, and Tunov. These medications are effective for treating hyperactivity and impulsivity, less effective for treating the attention problems, but the advantage is they have less side effects than the stimulant medications. So I think what's going to happen over the next few years is learning how to better utilize those non-stimulant medications to help us treat ADHD without the side effects that the stimulants produce. I think that we will see a, a development over the next five to ten years of a more specific treatment for each individual child rather than just 
getting a 10-minute history from the parents in the pediatrician's office and then writing a script for right. medication. Dr. Karniski, I do have this question. As a developmental pediatrician, with all those years of experience, are you in favor of moving away from the stimulant-based medications? Not, not necessarily. As a matter of fact, um, I think that the stimulant medications are a godsend in, in a way. They work. They're, they're highly effective for treating ADHD, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, the, the side effects, there, there are side effects to these medications, uh, difficulty falling asleep, uh, decreased appetite, irritability as the medication wears off, but those side effects are easily manageable. They do not cause any long-term uh, adverse effects on the child. And as a matter of fact, any of the side effects that do occur will disappear within 24 hours after stopping the medication. Okay. All right. Now, but the other question is, um, how effective are these medications, and how do I know that they're effective? Uh, there's actually three ways that we know that these medications are highly effective for the treatment of ADHD. The first way is that every year approximately 350 research articles are published on the medications used to treat ADHD. Uh, those uh, trials and research projects will, will clearly demonstrate that the core symptoms of ADHD improve on medication. 350 studies a year on, on looking at this aspect. And what they find is the core symptoms improve dramatically. The core symptoms are the main symptoms of ADHD. So the difficulty focusing, the difficulty remembering, organization, um, the hyperactivity and impulsivity, those behaviors show a dramatic and significant response to the medications that are studied. So wow. the first way we know that medication is affected by simple, laborious research done in multiple medical centers throughout the country and, and clearly demonstrating that the medications are effective. Well, thank you. Thank However, you. Our guest has been Dr. Walt Karninsky, the MD. Dr. Karninsky has a new book out called ADHD Medication. Does it work and is it safe? We simply ran out of time, and this is Dr. Karninsky's second appearance on the show, and he's a developmental pediatrician. Again, his new book is called ADHD Medication. Does it work and is it safe? This is Josh Lane. You're listening to Here's to Your Health. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back after these important messages. The latest from the greatest, the best in new music by classic rockers, with your host, the insane Daryl Wayne. This is Alice Cooper, and if Daryl Wayne is insane, what does that make me criminally insane? Stick around to find out. Many of the artist interviews for the latest from the greatest have been captured on audiobook. There is a volume one and volume two. Great information and conversations with people in the industry and people surrounded by the industry and of course the rock stars themselves i'm the reverend al green and you're listening to the insane daryl wayne and i said wayne insane you can find it on amazon or blackstone audio search for the latest from the greatest from daryl wayne d-a-r-r-e-l-l-w-a-y-n-e Hello, this is Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the insane Daryl Wayne, aren't you? 
Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Here's to Your Health with Joshua Lane. If you have any questions about the guests or topics discussed tonight, please give us a call at 818-707-0005. That number is 818-707-0005. This is Josh Lane. On behalf of the cast and crew, I would like to wish you a healthy and safe good evening.